0: Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sanoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. The Carolinas are very unique in many ways. One way for sure
1: is they both have very active statewide chambers of commerce and very engaged Chamber of Commerce executives. I'm Chris William. welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each and every week across the Carolinas for more than 30 years now. Thank you for supporting this dialogue. In a moment, we will unpack with these very engaged chamber executives. They are Gary Salamito from North Carolina's Chamber and Bob Morgan
0: from the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce. And we will start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Bob Morgan from the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce and Gary Salamito of the NC Chamber. Well,
1: I I think we can say it's fair to say happy holidays and nice to see you both. Gary, Bob, welcome back to the dialogue and uh, good to have you both together. When was the last time that you all had a chance to visit at all?
2: I don't know. I think it's been a few months easy. I I know it's been on the phone, but I think we were in Wilmington one time for an event, Bob. It might have been close to a year ago.
3: Yeah, we missed you in Statesville for the CACCE a couple of weeks ago, but you guys were well represented. But good to be with you, Gary. Yeah, good to be with you, too, Bob.
1: Well, gentlemen, uh, you you know, you're both not just part of the statewide chambers, which in, in the Carolinas are very active, but you're personally engaged and have been between the two of you for decades. So... Let's tease out a little bit. What are you hearing from your membership? Bob, we'll start with you. What's the general tenor or tone that you're hearing from your members about, oh, I don't know, the economy? Or, or what's their biggest challenge? What's their biggest issue? What are they excited about?
3: Chris, we do a grassroots tour, August, September, and October. We talk to almost 50 different chambers, over 900 different business people in an interactive engagement. Um, inflation at the top of the list, supply chain concerns, Um, But workforce continues to be the number one issue. What's also interesting is you ask people, how do you feel about the U.S. economy? There's a growing pessimism. You ask them, how do you feel about the South Carolina economy? They are extremely bullish on the South Carolina economy. So um, the, the negativity in the economy feels like it's more elsewhere than here.
1: Jerry, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of what what Bob says. We're, you know, we're having constant conversations too. I think that, you know, how our folks are talking about it. Well, I've got four things. And the first three are talent, 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 you know, in that that competitive world that we're living in right now. And that's, you know, how do we acquire it? How do we retain it? We're getting now more and more feedback on there's going to become a little bit better balance between the employer and the employee. The employee's had a lot of uh, influence over the last couple of years going into and coming out of the pandemic but you're going to see some balancing there coming back to work and having those discussions. And the other is cost of capital as, as Bob referenced with inflation. It's, you know, it's almost doubled or more than doubled in the last three or four months. The next Fed hike, I think will, will give us a lot of insight. I, the last Fed hike, our folks were saying pretty much the stuff was baked into that one. Uh, but the next one will begin where we'll begin to feel it. And, and to Bob's point too, we're hearing the same thing in North Carolina that the country is is really going to be hurting But North Carolina is not going to be near as bad off as some other places around the country. We'll continue to grow, we'll continue to be an attractive place, and we'll weather the storm, whether it is a full blown recession or called one or not, we'll do as
1: well or better than most. So let's. We're going to unpack this idea of workforce in just a second, but let's talk about the economies for just a minute. Gary, as you talked about North Carolina and Bob, as you itemized South Carolina. So let me get, now that you don't know, there's been a couple of high points. In South Carolina, Nucor, Bosch, of course, BMW, 1.7 billion recently. In North Carolina, Microsoft, Apple, Wolfspeed, Macy's, Eli Lilly, et cetera, et cetera. When we talk about all of these projects, the idea that well, finding workforce, yeah, it's a problem, but it doesn't keep people from announcing big projects with big price tags that are going to be looking for a long line of, of workers, qualified workers. So, how do you square those two? Bob, Gary?
3: Well, you know, we, we, if you look at our unemployment rate, it looks like we're at full employment, right? We have 100,000 jobs unfilled. Um, and yet, an additional part of the story is our workforce participation rate. Is low relative to the other states around us. We're trying to figure out what that means, but clearly there's a combination of our population is growing. We get our share of people moving to the Sun Belt. Companies know that you can you can get people um, into states like North and South Carolina, and um, and so they're willing to continue to invest because uh, Greenville, Charleston, to a little bit lesser extent, Columbia are destination cities, just like. Uh, just like Charlotte, Raleigh, and others uh, throughout the Carolinas. Gary?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we worked hard for a long time. Bob was part of this. And, it, you know, North Carolina didn't get to be uh, such an attractive place overnight. It could be a number one for business by CNBC. It didn't happen by accident. It happened over many years of people pulling in the right direction, aligning our three key pillars, which are education and talent, a competitive business climate, and long-term investments in infrastructure. So they're going to keep coming because we're building it and because we are a competitive place to come. And they're going to help us redesign uh, and realign our talent and our educational pipelines to meet the jobs and demands. So I think companies are seeing us, A, we're predictable, B, we're competitive. We're making the right infrastructure investments and they can come in and work with a world-class community college system and world-class university system and design worker training programs that fit what they need. And the net in migration uh, is helping with that for sure. Uh, but also now we're looking at high schools differently and we're looking at how do we get our young people ready for a post-secondary experience, whatever they choose it to be. And some of that may be a four-year degree. Some of it may be a credential. Some of it may be an associate's degree right out of high school where then businesses give them their the, the bachelor's degrees and help them grow. Designing that workforce for the future, Chris, I think is what is making North Carolina after we make sure we're competitive everywhere else really appealing.
1: Yeah, I think, and this is not meant to be disrespectful at all, but I I think what happens is we try to square the dissonance between, All of these companies that continue to move to the Carolinas and uh, but but at the same time, not not you two, of course, but at the same time, many people saying that, well, we don't have enough jobs. We don't have enough workers. Yeah, but it doesn't stop the forward momentum. At what point do we hit a tipping point? At what point does it really start to make a difference where folks will stop moving? Or is that because it's it's a nationwide thing?
3: Either one of you, please. Chris, I think it's the continued macro trend of folks moving from the Northeast and the Midwest to the Southeast. It's not just the Carolinas. Georgia is looking at record investment, uh, other states in the Southeast. And we have to continue to make ourselves attractive from a as a place to live uh, in terms of the business yeah. climate, the business environment. Um, I think a part of this conversation needs to include the subject of immigration. We as a country are not growing as fast population wise. As we have historically Uh, immigration is a mess. Um, The borders are not secure. We don't have a coherent immigration uh, policy that helps bring in not just the workers, the knowledge workers who bring talent, but also those who want to come here and work and do the jobs that the rest of us don't. And so um, obviously we have to continue to keep our states attractive To get our fair share or as i like to say a bit more than our fair share of those who are moving with their feet Um, but we need to turn up the immigration pipeline as well um, as a country and we will certainly in this region see the benefits of
1: that gary how do you work that how do you work that specifically around immigration to expand it
2: yeah i think that it's twofold one is uh we have a great opportunity and i think this order kind of helps set the table for immigration We have a great number of adult learners in North Carolina and in the Carolinas that are coming back into the workforce. So what are we doing to help retrain, reeducate our adult learning populations, particularly our veterans and our our second chance hiring groups? There's a group of folks out there that can meet some of the immediate needs if we can realign the systems to help our adult learners. If we do that, then the immigration discussion gets to be even uh, a little bit easier to have. Uh, than, than we ordinarily would have. We're fully, I, I couldn't echo any better what Bob said than immigration is an incredibly important part of how our country and how our two states will continue to be competitive as a thoughtful, comprehensive, transparent immigration process. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, my father was first generation. Back in the early 1900s, they found a way to get 20,000 people from Southern Italy and Eastern Europe to come to a small town in upstate New York to help produce shoes for World War II. If you could do it in the middle early 1900s and get 20,000 people to come from, uh, spend three weeks on, on ships and other ways to get there to to produce a product that our country needed, we can certainly sort it out right now with the technology, the understanding, the relationships that we have. So I think it's just a matter of will, not a matter of of how to do it. I think how to do it is there. Can we in in our states and in our communities talk to our electeds in Washington and say, you know, we we want you to do this? It's a will to do it, let's get it done.
1: Bob, do you think that there is a, uh, are are you hopeful that there will be a break in in some sympathetic move toward immigration next year?
3: I don't see it that quickly. There's a lot of pessimism out there. Um, And uh, I've tried to take the approach that every conversation with our congressional leadership, we the business community need to raise the issue. Um, It's a losing issue politically at the ballot box, frankly. Um, And yet, uh, you know, when we talk to, you know, Senator Graham and others, um, there's a recognition of a need. And um, in a conversation with him, for example, he said, look, um, if we're going to talk about reform of immigration, we also have to talk about border security. And there's no evidence that the two different sides are ready to come together around both of those issues. That is what it's going to take.
1: <laughs> uh- darker side of the economy, um, and not to be pessimistic, but a darker side of the economy is the cost of living, as we've all seen it. And you know the rapid increase in the, in the rate of inflation here within the last 12 to 18 months has been obvious because of, of, of federal policy, fiscal policy, and, and the tremendous liquidity in the system. But if we take that out and we look at all of these places that you both have talked about and know well uh, these urban cores in, in the Carolinas, Um, How how do we address the issue of a increasingly more and more cost to live within a city um, for for the average or even the median wage? Is there some policy? Is there something we're missing that that we're not addressing on that?
3: There's a small issue in South Carolina. We tax rental income as commercial property Um, that makes us uncompetitive uh, to some of the states around us. Uh, as it relates to affordable housing and rental housing. And so uh, when we talk about comprehensive tax reform uh, here in South Carolina and the need for that, um, that's right at the top of the list is how we treat the taxation of of rental income and apartments. And as a for example, uh, there's a a movement of build to rent uh, in the real estate world. And uh, a developer in Simpsonville, uh, South Carolina, in the upstate, Um, the uh, uh, property taxes were uh, 25% of uh, the total gross rental income on that project. Just put them out of the market. Um, In Tennessee, uh, that same development, the cost was 7%. The the property taxes were 7% of gross rental income. So we need to do a better job of making sure that our tax policy keeps us competitive with the states around us um, because it does affect issues like affordable housing and the cost of living generally. Terry, how do
1: you come down on
2: that? Yeah, I think I don't think there's a silver bullet for for Chris. I mean, it's one of the one of the side effects of growing, and one of the side effects of being a good place to live. And you know, we got to be thoughtful and make sure that there's housing available to folks. I, I think we got to look outside uh, of what we've done traditionally. Are there private private partnerships for infrastructure investment that we should be looking at beyond roads? Uh, should we be looking more at water and sewer? and should be encouraging regionalization of communities for those infrastructure projects to help put those infrastructure projects in before the developers even come to do that. Is there a better relationship uh, that needs to exist uh, and how we how we do that. You know, the key ways, and Bob knows this too, in South Carolina, you attract businesses, you put the infrastructure in, and you make it really easy for them to come in because you have put the fundamentals in uh, and got the site ready. Uh, there should probably be some thought about how do we get housing sites ready in, in, a, in a way that's different, that helps it become more affordable. And there's also, uh, you know, interest rates are going to go up. Uh, that being said, uh, there are vehicles out there. There are housing authorities within each of our states that have some ideas, and we're in the process of meeting with them now. We're starting to build a coalition with uh, some non-traditional folks to talk about what are the steps you have to go through. Because I think the mistake we often make is say, here's the bullet, you got to go do that. Why not just take about a quarter of the loaf, get that, and then go after the other three quarters later, and begin a, a predictable way to make those investments. So. Yeah, it's a it's a side effect of growing, uh, but there are ways uh, if we want to be innovative around it. Chris, there's an interesting dynamic.
3: Some percentage of jobs we've learned through the pandemic can be done from home. Now uh, we came across a company in Spartanburg, an IT company. Um, they're not even hiring in South Carolina. The jobs they're trying to fill are work from home jobs, uh, and they're filling them around the country, which raises a whole host of Do we count these folks as part of South Carolina's workforce or are they part of whoever else's? But it gives people the option to then live in uh, the lower cost, more rural parts of the country if you have broadband access, which, of course, is a critical piece of the infrastructure bill um, and the funds that we all have. Um, But it'd be interesting to see how much of that we see in the work-from-home economy that's going to be a legacy of the the pandemic.
1: Let me me just do one quick quick off, uh, and this is a question for both of you. Broadband access has been talked about so much and seemingly uh, fully funded, at least in spirit. Is it that last mile? Are we still trying to figure out how to hang or how to bury that, that fiber to all of these communities? Is that what's holding us up, either one of you?
2: I, I, I'll start and I'll think I, the money is there Chris I think it's how yeah. do we work together and how is uh how do our local communities held accountable for the just for getting the money into the ground, so I think the money is there for the last mile, I really oh. I really do I think there's plenty of money, yeah. it's just how do we get that money into the communities get it deployed and make sure there's an accountability for it, because as you know if, if it's there and we don't spend it right getting it again is gonna be really hard. So making sure we do it right and have the accountability from the state to the local and municipalities would be really important, but I think it's there.
1: Bob, is it procedural for for you in South Carolina?
3: Yeah, we're way out of my expertise here, but as I understand it, it's not just getting the broadband down the street to an area that's currently not covered. Once you do that, do you have the capacity that they enjoy the same levels of speed as as the rest of us who have the infrastructure so um, we'll see there's a there's a lot of money that's going to be invested in broadband and um, and hopefully it will help those rural areas
1: here we are we've got about eight minutes left and here we are over the holidays right and people are distracted and rightly so and would rather probably not talk about policy and business and and all those things that are strategically important to communities sometimes but um, as we look forward now to 2023 for both of you um, well not just again, not not what your legislative agendas are because they're important, but what do you see as maybe one or two things that will bubble up in 2023 and that will be critical?
3: I think, Chris, first of all, fiscally, as we look at tax revenue collections, we just had a record year in terms of in revenue into state government, the ability of legislators to then appropriate uh, our largest tax cut in history, significant strategic investments in infrastructure. Um, it looks like we're going to have a similar opportunity again in 2023, and so I think striking the right balance um, between saving for a rainy day, returning tax dollars through rebates or tax cuts or tax reform, uh, and continuing to make the strategic investments in things like the port and our uh, our roads and uh, and other. Um, critical infrastructure. I think an issue that we're going to see politically, um, we just had a a summit and brought together a lot of folks from the business community. Um, A lot of people have not even heard of the subject of ESGs, but the the idea that larger companies are in some cases, mandated or potentially mandated or for competitive reasons, are doing things around environmental uh, governance, uh, sustainable uh, issues and measurements um politically there's already resistance to that i think we're going to see more of that in 2023 with the potential to divide the business community and hopefully we can uh, we can help prevent that from happening but uh, see that as an issue on the horizon for the next couple of years yeah, yeah
2: the the opportunity to while you're doing well to uh, you know change your game when you're on top of your game is probably the, the the one we're looking at most and that is how do we make strategic infrastructure investments at a time when the state is growing road, rails, ports, water, sewer, continue uh, with broadband, but also computer infrastructure. How do we continue to make those key investments? And how do we want to incentivize and continue to incentivize regional cooperation? Because uh, the the investments we need to make, we can't make them in the time we're going to make them, much less afford them in some of the places that just don't have the tax base. So what does that mean? Are there public-private partnership guidelines that should be for a lot more of our infrastructure investment? I would argue that they need to be with it, and do we need to look at other parts of infrastructure investment the way we look at strategic transportation infrastructure investment and, and use uh, a, you know, a scoring system there? And do we need to, you know some, some bridges in, in our state won't fall into that, but are very significant, hundred million dollar, billion dollar projects that won't fit into the system. How do we make sure we make those investments? So I think our opportunities are our headwinds on the infrastructure investment side of things for sure. And, you know, the business community, I think, small business in particular, um, you know, small business is the lifeblood, but it's also intricately tied to look to the bigger businesses. So what are we doing to help small businesses navigate coming out of this pandemic? One of the, the issues that continues to come up is affordable health care for small businesses. Yeah. How do we make sure that small businesses can have the ability to retain employees? They want to take care of their employees, but still afford it. So we're, we're interested in how do we look at association health plans? How do we aggregate small business lives? I think a headwind is for North Carolina is that if we are not good at helping those small businesses thrive, the costs continue to go up for everybody because there's that intricate relationship between large and small businesses mm-hmm. so important. And I think the last piece, the headwind is, is we have a world-class community college system uh, what we need to do is make sure that we can encourage more regional cooperation and alignment there. So not every community college uh, is or feels like they have to offer everything, that we learn to cooperate regionally more, as they are doing right now in the Carolina Corps uh, for those projects there, where those community colleges are coming together, and they're not all doing the same things. They're saying, we're going to address this region. More of that would be important. And uh, and lastly, the, the real headwind is the political economy that you know, it comes out of a very heated election, uh, whether it's a you know, a Senate election or you know, elections down to the school boards. The business community has an opportunity to to elevate that discussion. It has an opportunity to bring and put guardrails around that discussion about here are the here are the points that create private sector job growth. Here are the things that can continue to give the communities the resources they need to pay the teachers and invest in infrastructure and grow private sector jobs. And if it's outside of those areas, then we're going to talk to you about what those are. And, And, you know, we issued a statement right after the election that talked about that. We'll work with anybody, but growing private sector jobs, there's ways to do that. And we've done it in North Carolina. South Carolina has done a really good job. We know how to do that. And we also know what they're not. And we, so if we stay, if we stay focused on our knitting, uh, we're going to continue to be just fine.
1: You know, one of the things that came out of the last couple of years has been the acute nature of the personal and the professional liability, if you will, around mental health. We've talked about it. Do you think in 2023, and this is, again, a question for either one of you, you think in 2023 we're going to start to see some movement and or champions for mental health, which could be additional funding? Either one of you.
2: I think from our members, we're seeing it. go, I'm sorry, go ahead Beth. go ahead, go ahead, Gary. From our members, definitely we're seeing it. We talk about it a lot. Uh, they're looking at their EAP programs, they're looking at uh, their HR policies. they're looking at their time off policies. they're looking at their benefits. They're incorporating telehealth into the mix now as a, as a way to help folks address some of those issues so in the private sector yeah they're, they're they've seen it they know people coming back or different people than left after the pandemic and different relationships so in the private sector it's a priority now in the public sector i think you'll see even more and more you know there's uh, we want to encourage folks to continue to have that medicaid expansion discussion we think that's a part of the population that could use those services. But there's also services in talking with our DHHS secretary that are available to people uh, that people don't even know are available to them. And we've got to do a better job of talking about what's available, what's working, and get it out to more people. Address some of the thorny policy issues for sure, but there's no argument I can hear anywhere of people thinking that that's not an issue. It's a big issue. We were doing well with the opioid right. epidemic before the pandemic. We're actually starting from zero. Well, and that's
1: that's the issue. As it increases, as it accelerates, as it becomes worse, Bob, do you think we're going to be able to slow that, like the rate of inflation almost?
3: Yeah, I think we're going to see the private sector lead. I don't see any great public policy um, solutions or expenditures um, to come in 2023. I think it's going to take more time than that. I think the private sector will continue to lead. Chris, I want to go back to your previous question about 2023. I think we're also going to see of more positive note, um, the electrification of the automobile industry, the Carolinas, Georgia are ground zero of, uh, of that industry and the, we've seen some dramatic announcements uh, this year um, anticipate more to come. Um, what are we doing as states to prepare our workforce uh, for the jobs of that industry to help transition? Uh, others in the automotive sector away from the combustible uh, to the electrification. And I think that's going to be a big part of the story in 2023 and beyond.
1: Okay. All right. That's the final word. Uh, Bob, thank you for taking the time. You look healthy and thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Always good to be with you, both of you. Gary, nice to see you as well. And thanks for taking time to join us as well. It's good to have you both back together again. I think between both of your leadership around economic development and, and leadership in general, uh, we're, we're fortunate to have both of you. So thank you for joining us. Um, until next week, I'm Chris William. As we head into the holidays, we hope you get a chance to reflect a bit um, and to minimize the stress and to remember how uh, fortunate we, we all truly are. Uh, until next week, I'm Chris William. Happy holidays. Good night.
0: Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.